Has anyone here ever lost track of a child in a large crowd? Fess up. It's okay. Hi, my name's Rick, and I'm sometimes a bad parent. It's terrifying. We have three children, and um, they're, they're out of the house, and they're over 18. And uh, God bless us all. You don't stop being a parent. Your, your worries and concerns shift a little bit. But I could go on, but they might be listening to the sermon, so I have to be really careful what I say. But I'm going to tell you a story about losing a child. Now, Luann and I are pretty hands-on parents. At least Luann's really good at it. And if you know her at all, she makes me look good in pretty much anything I do, even what I wear on Sunday and things like that. So she makes me look good. Okay, I'm married up. But this parenting thing is kind of a tag team approach, right? Or it should be. We successfully navigated Ottawa, Parliament Hill on Canada Day. Thousands and thousands of people. And we hung on to our three kids for dear life when they were little. And we came back with the same three we started out with. Big success. We successfully navigated going through... uh, New York City and Central Park and the New York City metro system and all the and we came back with the same three kids that we left with. But we were undone in a Canadian tire store in a small uh, town in Ontario. We were camping. We got if you've ever been camping and you just there's a huge downpour and you kind of get rained out and you think Ah, let's drive into town. Let's find some breakfast, some hot food, some coffee, and, you know, go on. So we did that. And we needed to stop at the local Canadian Tire for some camping supplies, i.e. a better tarpaulin than the one I had parked, that I had packed, and some ropes. So we went to do that. In the midst of this, our oldest son got tangled up in one of those, you know, the turnstiles of the checkout. Somehow his head got in there and... To make a long story short, the store manager had to come and we literally had to take the, the, the chrome, you know, kind of fence and we had to pull it out of the floor to free him up. It was an absolute gong show. Well, this was safely over and we look and we go, one, two, ooh, where's number three? And our youngest son was about four or five at the time and we were in an absolute panic because there had been a few... Luann reminded me as we were going over the story last night again um, that there had been a few child abductions in, in that area at that time. We thought, oh, panic, you can't, if you've never been there, it's just this panic grips you. And we're running all over and we're keeping an eye on the parking lot to make sure no one's got a kid tucked under their arm and we're looking around. And we find him right at the back. It's about this high at the time. He squatted down, carefully looking at a duck decoy. It's so interesting. And he can't understand what all the fuss is about because it's such an interesting thing. He'd never seen a duck decoy up close before. And uh, huge relief. And we, we, just, we just left, you know, just totally emotionally and physically 
disheveled and feeling much more stressed out than we had when we originally drove into town for breakfast for the first place. This morning, we're going to look at another story of a, of a missing child, the story that was read so well by Ashley. Um, and at Elam, we have these beautiful windows. I'm going to invite you to swivel around and just check. The story starts over there. Last week, we talked about the birth of Jesus. And uh, then we're going to do this story next. Jesus is a 12-year-old boy. And we're going to just go around in the month of May, talk about uh, the stained glass windows in, in Elam. But uh, this morning, I want to talk about the most unusual teenager in history. The story that Jesus read, that, that was read about Jesus, I just want to make a couple of comments on it before we unpack it. Um, we'll quickly go over it. Um, Jesus grew up in a God-fearing family. That's why God the Father planted him there, literally, in, in his mother Mary, um, to be born into a, a family that loved God. And it was their practice. It says they fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord. They returned home to Nazareth. Um, and, and the child grew up healthy and strong. Okay? Perfect. That's what you would want for a child, right? Especially if you're God the Creator and you want Jesus to, to grow up healthy and strong. What an interesting description of a child. He was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was on him. Now, this is up to age 12, okay? Filled with wisdom, and God's favor is on him. This is a God-fearing family, and they go to Jerusalem every year for the Passover. You know the story of the Passover, the whole deal with the Jewish celebration of the Passover? They, they would commemorate their deliverance as, as slaves out of Egypt, and to do that, in that first Passover, um, they would paint, God had people uh, slaughter a sheep, slaughter a lamb, and they would put the blood on their doorposts and on the lintel to say, pass over this house and protect it from the plague that was going to come on the rest of the country. So it was a picture of salvation. That lamb had to die, blood had to be shed so that people could be saved, okay? Really powerful imagery. So every year, Jesus' family would go up to Jerusalem, kind of the trip to the big city out of bucolic Nazareth. He grew up in a hick town, and I could show you that in other places in Scripture. But Nazareth was kind of like, eh, I'm not going to pick on any places around here because it was, you know, that wouldn't be fair, but I... I pastored in a place like that one time in, in, in Ontario. What good can come out of the place I used to pastor? That was a common, it was kind of the armpit of the area, or that's how people perceived it. So it was a small town, and it would be a big event to go to Passover, and you would go with the whole entourage. The story says, uh, is, as Ashley read it, there were, there were friends and relations and neighbors there. It was a whole, if you've ever done a group camping thing with friends, that's kind of what it was like, where the kids just, Lord willing, you don't see the kids all day, and they all come home at the end of the night, you know, maybe a little dirty, maybe a little bruised, but they're having fun, and you're having fun, and it's all good, a very safe environment. So they attended the festival as usual, and it's over, and they're all going home, but... Jesus stays behind. Now, we need to unpack this, okay? 
because the sermon title is The Most Unusual Teenager in History. I don't know if you saw it recently, but in the, in the news in the last week or so, there was um, there been some really idiotic stuff going on in the Internet encouraging kids to run away from home for three days. I don't know if you saw that. It's really stupid. Don't, don't look at it. But anyway, it's, it, it's encouraging kids to do that. It's, it's just as destructive as some of the other junk that goes on, you know, it, harassing people uh, with... Um, eating disorders or suicidal tendencies. It's just wicked trolls trying to manipulate people. Anyway, this wasn't anything like that. Like, Jesus was not doing this out of rebellion because um, the child grew up healthy and strong, who's filled with wisdom, and God's favor was on him. So this kid was a straight shooter, and his parents obviously trusted him. He was 12 years old. They didn't worry about him on the way back home right? They didn't even say, they didn't say to each other, oh, I thought he was with you. I thought he was with you. I'm sure at the end of the service, several of you are going to come and tell me, oh, I had a missing child story too, and, you know, things like that. But he was a responsible kid. He was likely hanging out with cousins and neighbors and having a blast. And what 12-year-old boy wants to hang around with mom and dad, especially I would imagine that there would be likely be younger siblings that Mary and Joseph were more involved in directly supervising. That's a logical assumption because the Gospels tell us that Jesus had brothers and sisters, and I don't think there was a 12-year gap in there. I think there were little siblings that Mary and Joseph were more preoccupied with. So they'd had Passover. They'd had a great time worshiping God. They're on their way home, and... That evening, they realize, oh, shoot, where is Jesus? Very responsible boy, oldest in the family. You know, all of you, who's any older, who are the oldest siblings? Anybody here? Okay. All right. Well, you know what it's like. I mean, come on. You, you got you to gotta be in charge of everything, basically. You know, you're in charge. You're just oldest, and you know what it's like. Very responsible I hope. So they just didn't think anything of it because Jesus was a responsible young man. They started looking for him. They couldn't find him. So they spent a day traveling from Jerusalem on the way home. Then they have to spend another day on the way back. Oh. Now, we were missing our son for about, as Luann and I were recalling it, maybe three minutes. Sheer terror. Okay? Three days later, they finally discovered him. Now, commentators aren't sure if that was a day traveling away from Jerusalem, a day traveling back, and then the next day they find him in the temple. We're not sure. But at any rate, you can imagine missing a child for three days. They finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. Now, How many of us would have a really good parenting moment at that time? You just spent three days looking for your 12-year-old son in a big city where he's not, you know, who knows? And it's likely maybe they were staying with relatives in Jerusalem. I don't know where they were staying. Maybe they went back there. I'm sure they looked in all the places. But he wasn't at the skate park. He wasn't at the 7-Eleven. He wasn't at the mall. 
It was not all the usual places where 12-year-old boys would hang out. Where do they find him? Finally, finally they discover him in the temple where they had gone to in the first place, right? What kind of 12-year-old boy goes and hangs out in a sanctuary and sits in on a theological discussion? You know, what, what, what kind of uh, 12-year-old would wander over to Booth College and start chatting up the theology professors or, or wander over to Canadian Mennonite University or Providence College and say, hey, you know, what do you think about the Trinity? Let's chat about that. You just kind of think, what, what kind of a 12-year-old child does that? But that's where they find him. He was listening to them and asking questions. Now, here's where we divert a little bit from our window. Let's take a look at our window. It depicts Jesus kind of standing at a lectern, and he's talking, and the two uh, gentlemen are there sort of examining the scriptures and sort of pondering. And I'll give you a little secret. Do you see anything unusual about the depiction of Jesus in that window? Anything a little out of the ordinary? And the top half of his body, what do you see? Yeah. Pardon? The thing around his head, yeah, and I saw that thing around. It's one of the first things I noticed. And you know, it's interesting that in this particular, all these windows, that's the only window where there's this thing around his head. And that's really, it's called a halo. And that's very popular in some older church art. It was meant to say, oh, here's a special person. Oh, here's a holy person. Uh, Some of us didn't bring our halos to church today, so that's okay. You're excused. Uh, Pastor's always forgetting his. But um, so that's kind of interesting. I'll just leave that commentary there. But this picture in the window is a little bit different than the Bible story because it seems to imply in the Bible story that... um, they were just sit, they were sitting together, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. A little bit more like the picture here. It was a little bit more of a, a, a dialogue rather than a lecture. But here, no matter exactly what happened, here's the bottom line. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now, what was going on? How old was Jesus in this story? Twelve. Okay. Um, I was going to say something about the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, but that's, that's not fair. That's, okay. Twelve. Um, now, what happens to a Jewish boy when he's around the, the age of 12 years old? What's significant in the life of a Jewish boy? Do you know? A bar mitzvah, Right? That's where you kind of officially become a man. So Jesus had been studying and learning about God. And I think he was processing all this stuff. And it's very interesting that this happened at the time of the Passover, where they're celebrating God's deliverance through blood, through sacrifice, right? And Jesus is there soaking it up, and he's dialoguing with all these learned people who really know the Bible. Now, Jesus had grown up in a devout Jewish family, and likely his mom and also his dad, Joseph, were mentoring him and coaching him and teaching him about the Ten Commandments, about God, who he is, what the Passover means, all these things. So he's 
dialoguing with them, asking questions, answering, and everyone was amazed, okay? So there's something really going on here. His parents didn't know what to think, obviously. <laughs> so, now, and this, this story is out of the book of Luke. And I think the first two chapters, I think I can show you pretty definitively, were based on firsthand memories of Jesus' mother, Mary. Today's Mother's Day. There will likely be lots of stories floating around about, do you remember the time when blah, blah, blah. Well, as Dr. Luke was interviewing Mary for the history of Jesus, the spiritual biography of Jesus, it's kind of what a gospel is, she's reminiscing and thinking, well, let me tell you about his birth and his conception and when he got dedicated at the temple, the different prophecies that were said over him. And then she says, oh, yeah. And it's interesting, between kind of between zero and 30, we don't have really any stories about Jesus except for this one. And then she said, there was that one time we went to Jerusalem for Passover. Oy vey, you wouldn't believe the stress we felt three days looking for him. But Mary says, why it's interesting she doesn't say you're grounded till the age of 30 you know that's what i would have said if i had been jesus mother but it's a good thing i'm not but she says why have you done this to us why would you i mean you you've you've grown up you're full of grace and wisdom and you're reliable and we trusted you it's like what what have you done fascinating response and i'm really glad ashley read it the way it needed to be read it's almost this innocent response. You could read it to be a cocky attitude. And many 12-year-olds would say, come on, or duh, you know. Jesus was not saying, duh, you know. Don't you know I'm supposed to be in the Father's temple? I think he was kind of bewildered. And it's like, why don't you get it? I mean, Joseph and Mary were there. They, they, all these angelic um, manifestations and all these things around Jesus' birth. They knew there was something different about him. There have been prophecies. But he says, didn't you know? Now, now watch this carefully. Just, just go back here uh, where it's underlined. Mary says it in a very kind way. And I mean, I give her a lot of credit after three days of not knowing where her 12-year-old son is. She comes up with this line. Why have you done this to us? Okay? It's not like... <laughs> something else I might have said in my more carnal attitude, but out of just worry and concern. Why have you done this? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. You could just imagine. Why have you done this? Your father and I. And Jesus responds, why did you even know? Don't, didn't you know where to look? First off the bat, didn't you know I must be in my father's house? So you see the Already at this point, I think what's happened is that Jesus has realized it's sunk in at the age 12 what his destiny is going to be. He's just beginning to grow into that. Now, theologians are fascinated with well, exactly how much was Jesus aware, and he was obviously growing in that awareness of who he was, right? But by that time, already at the age of 12, he said, my father is my heavenly father. I love Joseph. I honor him. I obey him. In fact, the, uh, the next verse says he returned to Nazareth with, to, with them 
and was obedient to them. That's why he's the most unusual teenager in history. So he, you know, he, he honored them, right? So he wasn't a disobedient, rebellious kid. But he knew already at this time that God, the Father, was his true father. And Joseph was a, a godly human being, human male, to, to show him how to be a godly human male, right? Anyway, Jesus responds, don't you understand it's supposed to be my father's house? But they didn't get it. They didn't understand what he meant. Which is not unusual. Whenever Jesus is talking about who he is and his plan, lots of people didn't get it. Even his own family. Have you ever felt misunderstood by your own family? Because you're trying to follow God? Well, you're in good company. You're in good company. If it happened to Jesus, it's going to happen to us. All right? Small comfort, but there you go. People are going to think, well, this religion thing's okay for you, but don't get pushy about it. Or don't get, you know, and it happens typically at family events or friends or hanging out. And Anyway, if it's any comfort to you, Jesus encountered this too, even his own family. So he went home to Nazareth with him, was obedient to them, and his mother stored all these things in her heart. Does that phrase sound familiar? After the Christmas story was all said and done, the shepherds have this spontaneous party in the middle of the night. It's sort of like a home invasion, a, a godly home invasion. And they celebrate and woo-ha, you know, we, Jesus is born and all these things. Mary treasures all these things in her heart. Now, bless her heart. She's a great woman, but she couldn't put all the pieces together. But she was remembering this. And remember now, Dr. Luke, about 30, 40 years after all these things happened, He's interviewing Mary to write down the story about Jesus, and she's, all these memories are flooding back, right? There's something unusual about this kid, Jesus. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. So what do we make out of the most unusual teenager in history? I, I tried to carefully show you that he wasn't doing it out of classic adolescent rebellion. He was just drawn to God the Father, and he was growing in his awareness of what God had called him to do. But I find it really interesting, the, the, um, the contrast between the adults and the teenager in this story. I'm really intrigued, and I want to do a little more research on the, why these scenes were, were chosen in these windows here at Elam. But I'm really intrigued that the first window we talked about talks about Jesus as infant, the middle one, Jesus as child, and the, one, the third one we're going to talk about, Jesus as an adult. It's interesting. What is God doing? What, what theme kind of links all these things, all these, all these windows? And I think one of the themes is this. God is using the unlikely things of this world to challenge our preconceptions about God. Do you remember last week? We talked about God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. The weakness of God is stronger than the strength of human beings. The foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of human beings. We can't figure out God. We think we can. And God uses something as disarming as a little baby in a manger or a 12-year-old kid. Think about the story. Think about the contrast between the adults and Jesus in this story. Adults, the teachers, they were amazed. 
at his teaching, right? The parents naturally were frantic. (laughs) And then once they discovered the real reason for Jesus, they didn't get it. But Mary was still pondering all these things in her heart. She was ruminating it and trying to figure it out. So often, so often, in my experience, children and teenagers get Jesus more than adults do. Now think about that. So often, children and teenagers get Jesus more than adults do. Oh, because we're sophisticated. We're older. We're wiser. We have life experience. We know this stuff doesn't work in the real world. It's okay for kids to sing Sunday school songs, and it's okay for teenagers to have a religious experience, and hopefully maybe that'll keep them off drugs or bad things, you know, avoid bad people. Maybe that's good. But as adults, you've got to suck it up and deal with the real world. I wish Pastor Justina was here this morning because she would be able to tell you stories of children and youth here at Elam that are more open and receptive to Jesus than most of us here. I'm not saying that in a condemning way. I'm just being realistic. But sometimes children and youth have a more immediate, uh, less complicated relationship with Jesus. They actually take Jesus at face value. Is it supposed to work that way? Are you just supposed to, like, believe the Bible? You know, believe what God says? Take him at his word? And we're thinking, well, gee, I'd really like to say yes, but I'm not sure. (laughs) And and that's true. We are supposed to accept God. And we know there's complications, and I'm not trying to oversimplify the gospel. But so often, God uses the simple things of this world, the seemingly foolish things of this world, to confound the wise. And that's what I think he's doing in this story. One of the things he's up to. It's all about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is upside downy, right? It's all upside downy. The people that we think should know, the people we look to who have power and control, the people in the story, the teachers of the law, they should know who the Messiah is. And there's the Messiah sitting in a circle with them, chatting and having a little impromptu Bible study dialogue. He's sitting right there. 18 years later, I bet some of those same teachers were in the crowd that said, kill that guy. He's blaspheming. Wouldn't be surprised. They should have known. And we miss it. The kingdom of God is upside down in its values because it's not about power and control. It's not about how seemingly smart you are or how, what your human achievements are. It's about connecting with the Father. It's about humility. It's about sitting and asking questions and seeking God and having a heart. Jesus was not trying to be rebellious to to Joseph and Mary. He wasn't. He wasn't a runaway kid. Well, if he was running anywhere, he was running to his heavenly Father. We could probably learn something from that. Didn't you know I'm supposed to be in my Father's house? Or other translations say, about my Father's business doing the stuff that God wants me to do. And I think this is an indication, just some foreshadowing, that Jesus' family, of biological family of origin is going to be torn apart. And there had been prophecies to Mary saying, you know, this, this kid's going to be great. He's going to cause the rise and fall of many in, in Israel, and a sword will pierce your heart. 
this kid's going to break your heart. Not because of disobedience to you, but because of his obedience to his Heavenly Father. You're going to get your heart broken. But it will be mended again. And that, that's that window there. That's good news. The, the resurrection window. But there's this interesting dynamic going on in the kingdom of God. Are you familiar with the saying, the medium is the message? Marshall McLuhan was a great media guru. He taught at the University of Toronto. And basically he was saying, the way you say something is just as important. The way you communicate something is just as important as the content of the communication itself. What God was trying to do by being incarnate, by being a human being, he was trying to demonstrate not just with words, but through the very life and actions of Jesus. He was trying to communicate the values of the kingdom of God. First window, nativity. God is simple. He's approachable. He's humble. Okay? Second window, God is simple. He's approachable. He's humble. He's a 12-year-old kid sitting, not standing or lecturing, but sitting with all the leading scholars of the day. They're all being amazed at his insights because God the Father was giving it to this 12-year-old boy. That's what the kingdom's all about. It's not about us and our accomplishments trying to impress God or impress ourselves or impress each other. It's about entering into God's family with a humble attitude and a seeking heart. You do that. We do that. Then God meets us. But if you come in with some kind of cocky attitude, thinking that you're going to do God a favor just by showing up on Sunday and saying, checking it off your list, or to be seen by other people, well, you get what you're after. God ultimately gives us what we want. We want a relationship with God? We can have it. If we want a relationship with ourselves and just look good and be religious, God says, well, bad choice, but choose your own adventure. I respect your choice. In this story, Jesus is modeling how to have a relationship with Father God. Enter with humility and spiritual curiosity and with that and with that driving searching to to figure things out with that spiritual curiosity. He was about to become a man in Jewish society in the next year, and he wanted to know his true identity. Wow. May God show each of us our true identity in Jesus as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the story. It seems really stressful thing to talk about on uh, Mother's Day. It's supposed to be Hallmark Day and all these things, and we're talking about runaway kids. But I know that Jesus was trying to demonstrate that spiritual passion and hunger and drive to connect with you. And that's one of the main values of your kingdom. So, Lord, I pray that you'd bless us. I pray that you would increase our spiritual appetite. Help us not to be satisfied with routine, run-of-the-mill religion. We want a dynamic encounter with you. We won't be satisfied with anything less, whatever it takes. So will you draw every seeking heart in this building and listening to this message, draw every seeking heart to you. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.